Let's just pray. Thank you that your word speaks wisdom into all of life. Would you come? Would you lift our eyes? Would you minister into the places in our lives that need your touch? And reveal to us that which you would have us know from Ecclesiastes 3. Amen. Bill is going to come and bring a reading to us. Our Bible reading this morning comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, reading verses 1 to 14. Very familiar words. Trust that God will speak to you from them. How precious it is to be able to read the word of God together. Thank you, Lord, that you'd let us do this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Does anyone have a song running through their head at this point? A time to kill, a time to be born, a time to plant, a time to uproot. You know, this is one of those well-known passages of scripture and I think it was made more well-known because of a song that, that came out in 1965 and I, that was before I was born, so I just want to make that clear. But this song shot to number one in the US charts and there's not really been many other songs, if any, that have just been solely scripture that have actually made it to number one. And so Ecclesiastes 3 became really well known. And it's been running through my head like the whole time I've been writing this message. So I'm just going to subject you to it, all right? This is the birds. Here we go. Watch the fashion. You'll love it.
<laughs> it's great, isn't it? <laughs> they don't make music like that anymore. Thank goodness. And so, you know, these this words from Ecclesiastes 3 became really well known just across the general population. But I think even more than that, like it's been so for generations that these words, there's something about them that resonate with us. I don't know whether you noticed that the teacher, I mean, of course you did, the teacher lists these pairs, contrasting pairs of opposites all the way through, like there's 14 different pairs here. Time for birth and death, planting and uprooting, killing and healing, tearing down and testing weeping and mourning and this is a trick one dancing ha <laughs> yeah but there's these these contrasting opposites and you know i just think there's there's something in this that captures the stuff of life that's why we resonate with us the good and bad and all of life's experiences really are captured in verses 1 to 8 i used to think that this was a poem about the seasons of life as if particular events in our lives would confine themselves to particular seasons. And so I, th I think it would be wonderful if we're able to say, you know, I'm in the births and the laughing season right now. So none of that, that negative contrasting stuff, just forget that. That's for some future season. I'm in this really good season. And somehow I grew up thinking that that was how life should work. But then I lived a little longer and I realised that good and bad can and often does sit side by side. And so my sister um, had a, her first child and she was only six months old when her husband was diagnosed with cancer. Or a few years back, we finally sold our family home that we'd grown up in, my siblings and I. We spent every weekend for a year doing up this home and we got to the end of it and it had been a really joyous and lovely experience and we celebrated and Steve and I went on a holiday to celebrate and the first day of the holiday, I broke my arm. You know, you know this story because you've lived the roller coaster of life as well, I'm sure. If only the good things listed in Ecclesiastes 3 lasted for a whole season before being overshadowed. Actually, the word that the teacher has used for season in this passage doesn't literally mean a duration of time. In fact, the Hebrew words for time and season here mean pretty much the same thing. Both are simply points in time. And so the point of this passage is not so much about seasons that last for a while, but rather appointed times for things that happen in our lives. Sometimes good and bad will lay side by side. Sometimes it will be a pile-up of bad. Sometimes a succession of good. The teacher in Ecclesiastes is simply saying there's, just, there's an appointed time for the things that happen. And the truth is that sometimes the timing will feel random and it will feel unwelcome. And we might question why some of that bad stuff is happening now. Do you know the teacher doesn't address the question of why? But he does share the sense of futility. And so in verses 9 and 10, the teacher says, what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. And burden may not be a great translation. It simply means the tasks of life. And what he's saying is even if we work hard, the tasks of life, good and bad, still happen. And so he's not addressing the question of why, but he does hint at our response. 
Now, I have a particular interest in human behaviour. I, I find people and their responses to things that happen in life quite fascinating. Don't get paranoid on me about that, right? <laughs> Don't think that I'm going to be observing you. But over the years, I've, I've, I have observed some common responses to the hard and challenging things in life. And this isn't just confined to Christians. This is like across the board. And the three common responses that I've observed to the emotionally hard things in life are firstly masking. That when hard stuff happens, we don't want to sit in that pain of that hard place. And so we look for things that will distract us distract us from how we're feeling or keep our minds occupied so we don't have to think about it. And so we might throw ourselves into work or into a hobby or into sport or into holiday, into kids, you know, whatever it might be. Masking is using things to avoid the emotionally hard places in life. And this is really different from self-care. I just want to validate self-care because self-care is, is using those things to actually just give our emotions a break. That's healthy. That's a good thing to do. Another common response um, to those hard places is medicating. So using whatever substances, alcohol, drugs, what, whatever it might be, to avoid emotional pain. And the third response that I've observed is fighting. It's actually when hard stuff happens, and I think this is on the increase, this response, it's, it's looking for who or what is to blame and it's taking all that negative energy that we feel and focusing it on that, that blaming kind of personal place. But the teacher in Ecclesiastes hints at a better response than this. And I say hints because I don't think he's got it all summed up. You know, he's still in the midst of life and the messiness of it and he's still trying to work it out. But nevertheless, he gives these hints at a better response. And if I were to paraphrase what he says, it would be firstly, lift up your eyes. So verse 11, he says... He, and he's referring to God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything. And in that, he's talking about all those events in verses 3 to 8, all the good and the bad. Everything has beauty in it. And so look for the beauty in both the good and the harder things in life. Because I, I believe that God leaves his fingerprints in even the hardest of things. Sometimes I think we can be so focused on the resolution of hardship, you know, when we get to that point and we're through it, that we miss the small and the beautiful along the way. Throughout the year that my mum was dying from cancer, this was actually back in 2003, it was a really long and tough year, but there were so many fingerprints of God along the way. So many beautiful things through that journey that I decided that I would put together a little record of God's kindness because I knew that in time I would forget that there were so many good things. And so I recorded every little fingerprint of God that I saw or experienced. It, sometimes it would be his timing or his kindness expressed through people or the gift of particular conversations, or his provision just when it was needed, or whispers of his assurance. There were so many things. And as you can see, the book got quite full over the course of the year. Over that year, there was much to feel sad about. There was much to feel distressed about. But every time I lifted my eyes, I could see beauty in the fingerprints of God in the midst of it. Now, I understand that sometimes that's harder to do. I've certainly had other seasons in my life where, especially when there's been a pile-up of hard stuff, where I've become so worn down emotionally that it's harder to find the beauty. We know that, don't we? Sometimes I've needed others to help me see it. 
Sometimes it's been easier to recognise in hindsight. Just occasionally I've just had to just like hang on in faith, trusting that the beauty will come later. So I don't want this to sound simplistic or trite. But the hard times really are made easier when we look for the beauty that God puts in the midst of it. So lift up your eyes and see beauty and lift up your eyes to see through the lens of eternity. So the teacher in Ecclesiastes goes on to say in verse 11 that God has set eternity in the human heart. Olam, the Hebrew word that is translated for eternity here, refers to a sense of something that is beyond all of those events that are listed in 3 to 8. Olam is actually a quality that refers to God, that we have something within us that corresponds to the existence of God. Throughout the Old Testament, the concept of eternity, it was, it was a little bit blurry. But through Jesus, it gained much greater clarity. Jesus very clearly taught that those who put their faith in him are given eternal life. And so in John 15, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back for you so that you also might be where I am. And of course, this could just be nice sentiments were it not for Jesus' own resurrection assuring us that Jesus' promises can be relied on. And so if those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus have eternal life, and if Revelation 21 and 22 paint a really clear picture of heaven that is free from hardship, then we can view the hard things in this life as momentary hardship in light of eternity. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 14 and following, he says, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so he says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The things that we might be going through, even right now, may seem long and hard. And yet we will look back in light of eternity and we will realise how temporary it really was. I remember hearing the illustration that if you know, there's a timeline of eternity and just imagine that it runs right across the room, only it doesn't end at the wall, it just keeps going on and on endlessly. And on this timeline of eternity, our lives are like one little dot, you know, imagine the size of a speck of dust almost just down that end. And then the hardship that we're going through is just like a dot within a dot. It's not to say that the things that we're in right now aren't real or that they don't matter, but it's about us lifting our eyes to see that there is all of eternity that is to come, that this won't last forever. This is just a point in time and there is hope and there is future and it's good. Just as I was preparing for this message today, I just had a sense that God really wanted to bed that down in our hearts and so I just want to pause and pray at this point 
And if there is something that you're in the midst of right now, and it's not to say that all of life is bad, you know, good and bad sit side by side, but if there is some hardship in what you're in the midst of right now, I just want to invite you, I'm going to pray for you. I just want to invite you, if you're in that place, just put your hands open on your lap and I want to pray. Lord, I want to ask for your strength and your comfort and your provision of whatever is needed. Thank you, Lord, that you see and that you care and that you are alongside each one with their hands open to you. Right now, Lord, I ask that you would lift our eyes to see where you are in the circumstances, the places and the people that you're touching, the things that you're doing. And beyond those circumstances right now, would you enable us to catch sight of our heavenly home? Seeing the perfection of heaven, the perfection of relationships, the perfection of healed and resurrected bodies, the perfection of creation. the all-encompassing love emanating from your presence. Just allow the Holy Spirit to just place a picture in your mind, that which he wants to show you in the midst and beyond where you are right now. And spend a moment allowing him to speak to you, to renew your hope, your joy, your peace. Lord, let hope, peace and joy rise up. And would you continue to speak through this week, placing that assurance in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And so in all the different things of life, the teacher says, lift up your eyes. The second hint that he he gives us is enjoy the simple things. Verses 12 and 13, he says... I know there's nothing better than for people to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. He says this is a gift from God. This isn't pursuing enjoyment in order to mask the pain of hard places so much as giving ourselves permission to enjoy good things and seeing them as gifts from God. There's an Australian palliative care nurse by the name of Bonnie Ware. She would nurse people through their final stages of life. And she had this practice of asking her patients if they had any regrets or things that they would have done differently. And on hearing their reply, she started to notice the same themes over and over. And it was so compelling that she she began to write a blog. And then she, she eventually wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. So there's a light read for you. But from the voices of those whose lives were coming to a close came profound sense of clarity and focus. And do you know what one of the top five was? People said, I wish I'd let myself be happier. Bonnie the nurse noted that this one was surprisingly common. Isn't that interesting? I wish I had let myself be happier. Granting ourselves permission in among the stress and the responsibilities and all that's going on, I will give myself permission to be happy. 
And the teacher in Ecclesiastes gives us a clue for how. Like, do good, eat and drink, and just find satisfaction in your work, be it paid or unpaid. In other words, just enjoy the simple things. Focus on what we have rather than what we lack. Focus on the difference that we make in other people's lives and just find reasons to smile and laugh in amongst all the stuff. And the final hint of advice in Ecclesiastes 3 is simply this. In all that happens in life, choose to trust God and keep making that choice to trust him. Trust his timing, even when you can't understand it. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Trust God for what will happen. And trust him for when it will happen. Steve and I have been needing to do a little bit of this lately. As you know, as he said, his mum was dying and, and she was, toward the last few weeks, needing 24-hour care. And in the midst of those weeks, I actually had a little surgery and I needed a couple of weeks to recover. And my sister-in-law had a heart attack and needed to be resuscitated. And Steve's dad had a decline in his eyesight and was having a series of appointments and laser surgery to try and save his sight. And we're trying to navigate all those things, but we're also needing to trust God for the commitments that we had made to various things, to conduct a wedding and to Alpha and to, to various other things, things that you can't just go, oh, sorry, it's a hard day today, I can't do that. <laughs> Something's come up. And so from a human perspective, as we look down the tunnel knowing some of this was all coming and piling up, it all looked quite stressful. And so day by day, all we could do, we couldn't actually control how those things were going to pan, but day by day, all we could do was keep making a choice. We will trust God for today. We will trust him for that thing coming up that we know is needed. And he was so, so faithful. God can be trusted. You know, he has bound himself in an everlasting covenant of love with each one of us. He loves us. He sees all that's going on. He cares. And he is more than able to meet us in the midst of it and provide just what is needed when it is needed. Ecclesiastes 3 really calls us to consider how will we respond when good and bad sit side by side or when there's a pile-up of bad? How will we respond when we don't understand the timing? Will we choose to lift our eyes? Will we look for the beauty even in the hardship, fixing our eyes, not just on the momentary troubles, but on eternity that is to come? Will we choose to find happiness and contentment in the simple things? And most importantly, will we choose to trust God and keep making that choice every day if that's what's needed, that he holds the timing for everything that happens in our lives?